This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, May 25th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. The federal government spends a large fraction of all health care spending and what they don't spend directly, as in the case of the special tax break businesses get for providing health insurance to workers. They delegate to employers enormous power over the health care choices of working Americans. Michael Cannon's new Cato paper is End the Tax Exclusion for Employer-Sponsored Health Insurance. We spoke yesterday. So one of the interesting features about the U.S. health sector is this accidental feature that really has almost nothing to do with healthcare. It's a feature of the tax code that just got there by mistake that has totally distorted the healthcare sector and contributes to, if not causes, almost everything that everyone hates about the U.S. health sector. This thing we call the tax exclusion for employer-sponsored health insurance means that If your employer pays you in cash, the government taxes it. If your employer pays you in health benefits, there are no taxes. The government doesn't tax that at all. That sounds like a great deal. But as you say, what it ends up doing is it ends up penalizing workers unless they let their employers control a sizable chunk of their earnings and choose their health insurance for them. Really, in many cases, make their medical decisions for them. And this isn't chump change that we're talking about. This is almost a quarter of U.S. health spending, more than $1 trillion per year that the tax code coerces workers into letting their employers control. And so we really shouldn't, it really shouldn't surprise us that the U.S. healthcare sector is not very responsive to consumers, patients, the people the system is supposed to serve, because they're not the ones controlling the money. The government controls half of that health spending directly by taxing that money away from us and spending that money itself. But then another quarter or more of that spending, it controls indirectly by forcing workers to hand that money over to their employers and not really hand it over. It doesn't even enter your salary, but letting your employer control that, choose your health plan. And uh, not only that, but choose a lousy health plan that disappears when your job does, even if you got sick in the meantime. This is a vestige of World War II price controls? It actually antedates World War II price controls. It it goes all the way back to the creation of the income tax. When Congress created the income tax in 1913, they didn't pay any attention to things like employee health benefits because there really was no health insurance at the time, at least not the way we understand it. And applying the new tax to to something like employee health benefits was not a a, a question Congress had considered. It was also not a straightforward uh, question because there was a lot of complexity to it. And almost from the beginning in 1913, what Treasury Department bureaucrats did was they threw up their hands. They said, this is too complex. We're just not going to tax employee health benefits. They didn't think much about that decision at the time because there really wasn't much health insurance at the time. But as time went on, as medicine got more valuable, as people wanted more medicine because it was getting more valuable, and as it got more expensive and they wanted to protect their assets from uh, the cost of a catastrophic illness, they they began to demand more health insurance. And what this tax exclusion, as we call it, for employer-sponsored health insurance did was it steered the market in the direction of employer-sponsored health insurance by implicitly, but literally penalizing workers unless they let their employer choose their health insurance for them. And that that's why 
more than uh, half of workers uh, uh, have uh, employer-sponsored insurance. Ninety percent of people with uh, private or what we call private health insurance have it through an employer. Even though if you buy insurance directly from an insurance company, in many ways, it's more secure. It insures against more risks because if you get sick and can't work anymore, that kind of health insurance doesn't automatically disappear. But the government encourages people to buy into employer-sponsored health insurance, which disappears automatically when you get sick and can't work anymore, or when your spouse, who's your connection to that insurance, dies or divorces you, or when you turn 18 or 26 and cycle off your parents' insurance, or when you retire. And so not only has this weird historical accident distorted the entire health insurance market, it has steered workers into a kind of uh, type of health insurance that is less secure than what the market would provide and has fueled the problem of pre-existing conditions that almost every government intervention since has been trying to solve, like Medicare and Medicaid and even Obamacare. Is there a counterexample that we can point to? That is to say, Americans who simply do not participate in this and are able to effectively purchase uh, insurance on an open market? It used to be the case that there was a broad, a small but fairly broad market for health insurance that you could purchase that was portable, that stayed with you when you changed jobs. And for people who bought that type of health insurance, it was more secure than employer-sponsored health insurance, even for people with high-cost conditions. If you got th that type of health insurance, you were half as likely to end up uninsured compared to people in poor health, uh, in similarly poor health, who uh, obtain health insurance from a small employer. Unfortunately, uh, so, so you had that part of the health insurance market that was working at least reasonably well, better, I think, than employer-sponsored insurance. Rather than fix employer-sponsored insurance, what Congress did was they outlawed the other kind, the kind that was working. What Obamacare did was it said, you can't have that kind of insurance anymore. We are going to impose price controls on it. We're going to regulate it very heavily. And so now under Obamacare, you don't really, it is, Obamacare coverage is portable, but it's not the same market that it was before. There are perverse incentives that, that leave sick people high and dry in ways that are similar to how employer-sponsored insurance does, but in other ways that are different. So getting rid of this tax exclusion, I mean, it's arguably argued to be a benefit to employers. Is it really a benefit to employers? To employers, actually, yes. A lot of large employers uh, reap a competitive advantage from the tax exclusion over their smaller competitors. Because if you think about it, the larger an employer is, the more employees it has, the better able it is to pool risk uh, pool health risks among their employees. The administrative costs of offering health benefits are going to be lower uh, on a on a per employee basis, and so they can offer better compensation packages. If we reform the tax exclusion, get rid of this differential between employee health benefits and cash wages, then large incumbent firms lose that advantage. We'll have. And that might be bad for them, but it would be wonderful for workers and for consumers. Workers would have more job opportunities. They wouldn't have to worry about losing their health insurance when they change jobs. And 
by lowering the barriers to entry into all sectors of the economy, consumers would benefit because there would be more new goods and services that would be made available to them. You wouldn't have so many small upstart businesses failing because they were unable to compete for workers uh, because the cost of offering health benefits was so high or they weren't able to offer the same after-tax compensation levels that large employers are. So getting rid of the exclusion, um, this is one of those things that right off the bat you say, oh, well, you lose that tax exclusion. My employer is just going to cancel our health insurance. That's like saying that if uh, Congress made a tax change, employers would just start cutting wages wantonly. They can't just start cutting health benefits wantonly because that's a pay cut. And employers know that if they do that, then their workers will leave. They will go to another employer who will pay them what they're worth. And one thing that we have learned from Obamacare is that employer-sponsored health insurance is sticky. A lot of people thought that pe- that employers would be dropping coverage left and right. I thought this. Uh, it, uh, our experience with Obamacare has shown that employers and workers are not eager to drop health benefits. So even if we eliminate the tax preference that favors employer-sponsored health insurance and penalizes other insurance arrangements, it is not the case that at all that all employers are going to just stop offering health benefits because it, it's clear that many workers value that. What reforming the exclusion would do is it would ensure that what employers are offering is what workers want because it would free workers to go someplace else if it's not. And so while that is a fear, and it's a fear that uh, opponents of reform have demagogued for decades now, uh, it is it is not a, a major source of concern. And if you reform the exclusion in the right way, you can completely allay that fear because you can give workers the $1.3 trillion, or I should say $1 trillion that employers are spending on their behalf, you can give that to them instantly. And the way to do that is to reform the exclusion by expanding tax-free health savings accounts. What should we expect to be the changes to uh, health coverage, to how healthcare is delivered, provided, shopped for if uh, individual healthcare consumers are in greater charge of that money? So if you return to workers that $1 trillion of their earnings that the tax exclusion now lets employers control, you're going to see a revolution in healthcare and healthcare delivery. Maybe the first thing you're going to see is prices are going to fall. When health insurers have done experiments with making consumers cost conscious, we have seen prices fall over a very short period by dramatic amounts. Prices for lab tests, knee and shoulder arthroscopy, hip and knee replacements, uh, CT scans, MRIs, these have fallen by up to 32% over just in just two years, the prices have. When when do you ever see prices in healthcare falling by 32% over two years? You see it when we make consumers cost conscious. And that's, that's important. That's revolutionary because it's the most important thing we can do to bring healthcare within the reach of people who cannot afford it today. It's the most important thing we can do to meet unmet medical needs. Beyond that, when consumers can choose uh, their own health plan, they're going to gravitate toward plans that 
offer more secure access to care, so many of them will choose non-employer-sponsored plans that stay with them between jobs. And so we will be going a long way towards solving the problem of pre-existing conditions right there. And this will also, because consumers will be cost-conscious when purchasing their health insurance, it will also encourage a revolution in the way we deliver healthcare so that there would most likely be more integrated healthcare systems where instead of having to go to this primary care physician and that specialist and that specialist and that specialist and hoping they talk to each other, but usually they don't. And so you have to be the conduit and then go to this pharmacy and that hospital. Patients would just have to make one decision about which uh, health system they're going to use. Those systems would have to compete on the basis of quality and convenience. And then so much so that the health care becomes simpler. Uh, they can go from their uh, physician's office, their, their primary care physician's office, down the hall to the specialist or down the hall to the pharmacy. Or, and they can have a care coordinator who, who will talk to all of these different clinicians and help coordinate their care and explain these things to them. These are, and there'll be more widespread electronic medical records and more research into the effectiveness of medical care. These are all innovations and, and dimensions of healthcare quality that the tax exclusion for employer-sponsored health insurance has suppressed, and we will begin to reap the benefits of those innovations once we get rid of the exclusion. I was going to say that it seems likely that if if nothing else, billing would become more coherent and understandable to the average uh, person just because, one, your health coverage is what it is when you are uh, at an employer. And the large firm that is saying, oh, here are the adjustments that your insurance made. Um, You know you can't file any additional claims on this. Uh, That is not meant to actually serve the consumer. It's to provide the absolute bare minimum of information that they're obligated to provide to you. This is what happens. This is one of the things that happens when you let someone else control the worker's money. When the tax exclusion takes that $1 trillion away from workers and gives it to employers, there becomes this free-for-all between employers and insurance companies and healthcare providers over uh, how much of that money the, the healthcare providers are going to get. And they engage in all sorts of games to maximize how much of your money they're taking. And the employers and the insurance companies do not do a very good job of representing your interests and making sure that they're not overpaying, which is one reason why employer-sponsored health insurance premiums are so exorbitantly high. Uh, But they also don't do anything to really help you understand the process because you're not the one controlling the money. So you're, you're really just along for the ride as the patient. But if you're the one controlling that money, if, if workers control that $1 trillion themselves, then healthcare providers would not get a dime of it unless they were making the workers happy. And uh, there, these sorts of innovations I mentioned where you would have integrated delivery systems would vastly simplify healthcare billing so that you would not be trying to figure out what was happening in the complex games between your primary care physician and your insurance company and each specialist in your insurance company and the pharmacy in your insurance company or pharmacy benefits manager. You would be dealing with one health system and they would give you a bill for how much you owe for this episode of care. Uh, 
if it's above the deductible or the, the, you know there could be some insurance coverage for it, but it would be vastly simpler than what consumers are dealing with right now. And what that indicates is that so much of the administrative cost and hassle that is that, that the consumers and patients are going through right now is not the result of market competition or consumer choice or anything like that. It's the result of government intervention. It's the result of this tax exclusion for employer-sponsored health insurance. Um, and Congress, they can keep trying to fix it with laws like the most recent one. They they passed the, the No Surprises Act, which is supposed to end the surprise medical bills. Uh, they're very similar to what you and I have been discussing, but it's they're never going to fix the problem until they eliminate the exclusion. Michael Cannon directs health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.